Welcome to the Ballistics Report Podcast, where we mix our love of the NBA and statistical analysis. We're going to be looking at teams and players through a different lens throughout the season. And then as we continue, we're going to be building a statistical model to show which teams and players are going to excel, which ones are going to fail throughout the season. Here's my uh, co-host, Eric. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Excited that the NBA season has started, so uh, got a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah. So this is October 27th of the 2019-2020 season, and there has been a lot in the first week. Yeah, you wanted to talk about maybe your biggest surprise for this the season so far? I mean, I know it's only three, four games in, but uh, what what's what shocked you the most about this season? I, I mean, I think the thing we just talked about right before we got on is the Warriors, right? This is the first time we've ever seen them struggle this mightily in the beginning of the season. And yeah, appalling. It, it's terrible. Like, I, I, I understand that they don't have Kevin Durant, Clay's out until midseason, possibly until the end of the season. But this is just a bad showing. I mean, the, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder are not a high firepower team. And yet, there were moments when they're down by 40. And I think, ultimately, they lost by, like, 30-some points. I just I don't know what's going on. How is this possible? Is there is it just their defense is that bad? There, no one seems to be scoring on this team. It's 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 really sad. So I think it's it's a mix. So I didn't get to watch all the game, but I saw the highlights after uh, after the fact. And the Warriors are it's two prong. Steph is the only one can, that can really score at will. Uh, as good as D'Angelo Russell is, he's he's inconsistent. Uh, and then second of all, they're, they're small, like every lineup that I saw, like it felt like their center was six, nine or below and they cannot keep up with teams. They just cannot. Yeah. One of the things about the death lineup for the Warriors when they revolutionized things was everybody was basically positionless. They could all score. They could all be a threat outside. I'm just not seeing it for these Warriors. Um, maybe they need to just go back to more traditional, um, style of playing because this is definitely not working for them yeah I mean the biggest thing that I saw was the they got I mean my goodness they got out rebounded by a lot and I'm not saying that positionless basketball is dead or their death lineup is dead but they they just don't have the personnel right now to really do it like it'd be one thing if they had clay and they had some guy that could approximate what Andre Iguodala was. But you don't even have to have, like, a full-strength Andre Iguodala. Like, even a Kent Bazemore, I think, would have fit in a death lineup. But they just don't have those people or that personnel anymore. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the stats, and Steven Adams put up a really quiet 8-9 by the stats. But uh, I also, just by the eye test, I watched some of the game. Steven Adams was dominating. Everyone had to focus on him. They had to box him out, and he was creating opportunities all over the floor for everyone just because he was this freaking huge dude. Yeah. And the Warriors have nothing. I I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how – I think they used to make it work. Like, I'm thinking about uh, the tough playoff battles with Anthony Davis um, mm-hmm. and when, when he was with the Pelicans. I think they made it work because, A, Draymond Green is a great team defensive player but there's just too many gaps in defense now and there's not enough firepower. The Warriors are used to going down in the first two quarters by 10, 20 points and roaring back in the third and the fourth. 
I just, I, they, they just couldn't do it this time. And um, I, I think that the Warriors are, you know what, like, honestly, right now, everyone's going to panic and say they're not making the playoffs. I think they maybe still make a low seed, but I don't think they make any, any noise in, in the, in this season. Like, I don't think they're going to be able to challenge for uh, uh, any type of position in the playoffs, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I still think they make the playoffs. They, they have too much of a pedigree not to. Uh, and you have players like Steph and Draymond that I don't think that they would accept anything less than making the playoffs. So I, I, I expect to see Steph have like an MVP streak, but they're not getting anything higher than the seventh or eighth seed. Yeah. Uh, actually, one thing that's really surprised me this season is the coaches challenge. Uh, we were just talking about this too, but uh, the yeah. coaches, people have been really strategically using the coaches challenges pretty well. I saw one game, I forgot what it was yesterday, where near the end of the game, uh, it didn't really matter. Uh, it was a close game, but it didn't really matter if they had the timeout or not. And the coaches was like, screw it, I'm just going to call a coaches challenge just to see if that works. Yeah. And I, th- I thought it worked really well. Um, they didn't, they obviously lost a challenge cause it's clearly a foul, but it was a nice way to use it. Uh, and I think that coaches are going to become way more clever about how they use the coaches challenge going forward. Yeah. Well, um, we just stopped watching our right before we started recording. I mean, we were watching the, the Mavericks trailblazers game. Um, and Terry Stotts used it at the end and he won. It, it turned into a, um, it, it turned into a jump ball instead of a foul on Dor- uh, for Dorian Finney-Smith to go to the line. So they're they're obviously using it for good use. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is the worst rule change ever because the Mavs lost a game because of it. But no, I, in all in all reality, it, it it is actually a pretty interesting dimension to the game. People have been asking for it. I love it. Maybe we. I don't know how many. Do you know how many coaches challenges you get a game right now? You only get one. You only get one. So you only get one, and I think you lose a timeout if you lose it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind like one per half or yeah. just two total. I, I, I think challenges are good, especially in the, the era of replays when you feel like something should be reviewed and you don't get that chance. Like you can't just if, – if a coach argues with a ref for too long, you're going to have – uh, you're going to have an injection or technical fouls, obviously negative results, but at least with the challenge, there's a, a, a little bit of a, there's a separation, right? Like you have to respect the flag when it goes down or the challenge when it gets, gets uh, um, let down or, or, or extended to you. Yeah. And I mean, uh, this, the, the Mavericks Warriors, uh, it's not <laughs> Mavericks Trailblazers game in this game specifically uh, as a Trailblazers, if, fan i would have been felt terribly if we lost if they lost that game because of a of a non-foul on dorian finney smith right and so yeah. using this this challenge using it smartly and uh everyone made the right decision and looking at the replay it was a clean swipe on the ball yeah it, this is the correct outcome of the game so as much as i hate it that's what should happen yeah this reminds me and i think this actually is probably a big reason why this happened is that um they do the last two minute report for the last like three years and uh, i think the nba has seen an uptick of missed calls in the last two minutes and um i I would love to get the actual statistics and and maybe that's my homework for next week uh is finding out how many 
calls have been missed in the last two minutes? Because uh, I, I know during the playoffs, especially when they're they're so indicative of of it, there is um, always this heated um, argument, like, "Oh, it was the refs," or the refs like uh, lost it for us. And then two minute report was used as sort of a um, as an adjudicator. Uh, yes, that was, that was, you are correct. That was a, uh, a bad foul or no, you were wrong that they, they had the, the call correct. Um, so I, I, I love the dimension of the challenges. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. but that being said, I mean, let's go into the Mavericks who, what's another big surprise that I think is huge. I mean, even though that they lost this game, Luca and Porzingis look like the truth, man. Yeah, uh, I that pick and roll is so dangerous. Luca, I see Luca's IQ every time he makes any type of move. Every time he's about to shoot the ball, he knows his bailout options, which is absurd for a twenty-year-old player and absurd for most NBA players in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has had a incredible stretch. Um, I think, um, I think he was averaging like 27 a game coming into this. And I think he scored 29 in this game. He's averaging like nine rebounds and, and, uh, um, nine rebounds and like seven or eight assists. Like this, this guy's basically a walking triple double, uh, and he was one assist shy. I think I think when we looked up the box score, he was one assist shy of getting another triple-double. Yeah, and I, I think if anybody hasn't seen him play live yet, this is the time to check it out. He's, he's faster and he's stronger, which I thought is absurd because last year he was scoring, was 23, not being as fast as he is now. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely gained some speed. And again, watching him is so fun because of his iq and you can see just the these ridiculous plays that he makes he'll slash to the basket he'll know that he's gotten trapped but all his players know all his teammates know to slash with him and suddenly mm-hmm. he'll just bail it out at the last minute for a, a porzingis who's this 7-3 monster mm-hmm. for a dunk or or a foul and we have to talk about it. i did not think porzingis would be this good this quick like i, I know he's been gone for 18 months but uh, he's a seven three guy that had foot problems, I think, before he came into the NBA, and then he had his uh, torn ACL. So, this is a gigantic human that is normally prone. Like taller, taller NBA players always have foot and uh, knee problems, and he came back and he looks fantastic. Yeah, I love the Mavericks medical staff. Um, I think they do a really good job. And I think that's probably part of his problem when he was in New York. I don't really know the New York medical staff. I haven't really – I don't know if there are a lot of players that have gone through injured and came out worse or whatever, but the, the, the Dallas Mavericks medical staff in general is one of the best in the league. And yeah. you can see it with Porzingis and his recovery. Yeah, I think um, even when Jason Terry was with the Mavericks, he used to say that it, it was like light years ahead of the other teams – or like, or at least when he was at Atlanta before, um, that they're really good at diagnosing. They're great at treatment. The physical therapy is excellent. Like a lot of our players don't stay out for long. Um, obviously, there's the nagging ones, but like the ones that are like, oh, this was a big, you know, turning your ankle or you had a knee sprain. I I don't 
I can't remember off the top of my head a player uh, other than like an older or chronically injured player really not coming back and looking good. Yeah, I think they've revived and extended a lot of careers over in Dallas just because of their medical training staff. And uh, Porzingis he obviously looks uh, stronger, but coming off a, an entire season where he didn't play, he's, uh, he's still got his skills. He's still smooth. I think he's struggled a little bit in the beginning, but he's getting back there. And, man, this guy is still ridiculously athletic, which I did not expect. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, one of the last plays that I saw with him, uh, or one of the highlights that I saw of him, I think Seth Curry missed a uh, missed a layup, and he just came right down the lane and just did a, a huge slam dunk, like over everybody. Um, but that's that's his game. That's what he does. Like he he goes hard to the basket. He uh, um, goes up with authority, and he's looking great. He's he's fearless, which is huge because. You know, I want him, especially after the Mavericks signed him to that five-year 150 um, for his contract, I want him to be uh, ginger with his knees and, and uh, very cautious, but he is he is brave, and I, I yep. give it up to him. Yeah, for sure. He's looking, he's looking super great. Yeah, and, you know, uh, other teams that are also looking – great at least in the beginning and and again it's a long season things could change the Timberwolves and the Suns actually have put together some good games yeah I'm not I don't think the Suns are for real um I watched a couple of highlights and I watched the end of a couple of games uh I think they've been bailed out by bad play from the other teams mm-hmm. uh the Timberwolves though uh Carl Anthony Towns is emerging as I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Right now, just based off this very short season, he's the best center in the NBA at this moment, Un- undoubtedly. I don't know. Is he a power forward? He's like six foot eleven, big dude, center power forward, whatever. I I think they list him as a center now. I know he came in as a power forward and he didn't yeah. want to be a center, but I think now he's officially a center. Um, and I, I think they did that because they wanted a stretch four to be next to him, someone that could could shoot a little bit more than he could uh, even though he's a good shooter he's been shooting the lights out yeah. from like 18 feet out and the three-point line like that was one thing that they were saying when he was coming out of college what made him so uh, uh so tantalizing is that he had that inside outside game that very few like a lot of centers wanted but he refined it yeah 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 I, I think the Timberwolves are for real um what are your opinions about the Suns do you think they can keep this this up no, I don't think they can keep it up, especially after the DeAndre Aiden uh, suspension. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, he actually got suspended for ingesting a diuretic, which is a part of the banned substances. Uh, I, would, that can be another podcast in itself, and I'd love to talk to you about that because I think some of that is is crap. Like I, I, uh, I think uh, obviously those that have like huge amounts of that in their system, but. I don't know. Some some people take stuff off the um, off the counter, and they don't know, you know, <laughs> that it has that banned substance. But that being said, going back to the Suns, I think I don't think they're going to be great. I'm just surprised that they've actually looked like a competent team. And yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that's what's surprising. It's not that I think that they're going to win like 30 games or 40 games. I think that they're going to be a lot more competitive 
in games. And I think that's good for the league because um, at the end of the day, you don't want a bad product, even if it's a bad team, that's not going to do well in the sense of uh, uh, wins and losses. I want competitive, good product on the, I, I want to feel like the Phoenix suns could possibly beat a good team or, or, or even a great team, but more likely not. They're, they're uh, going to be competitive with good, good teams and bad teams and probably go by the wayside for great teams. But they, they showed at least like they've, they've moved on from being the, the laughing stocks. Like I, I like that they, um, even though I don't love that they gave up TJ Warren for nothing, um, they took away the glut of the small forward. Um, Ricky Rubio has actually done a really good job of like keeping their point guard locked down so far. And then Devin Booker can do his thing because he, he has people around him that are going to step up. So what's, what's weird about Devin Booker and just the last comment before we get into our meat to main and potatoes is uh, I think Devin Booker has been playing pretty terribly. He's been making bad decisions. He's been coming up pretty clutch near the end, but man, I'm watching this guy play. He looks pretty rusty. I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with him. I was hoping that he would take the next step and, uh, so far in this season, I'm not seeing it from Devin Booker. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, um, I'm, I was always pretty high on Devin Booker, but he has been coming up pretty small. I, uh, the only reason I, I, I think he's still their leading scorer, which is probably not saying much, but uh, at the very least, um, he could round into shape. And that's another thing is that so he's scoring at about 23 a game. Um, and he's not playing well, and they're playing okay. But I'm imagining if he gets better, again, they'll be more, they'll be even more competitive, right? Yeah, I mean, he put up 30 points and eight assists last night. So against the Clippers, no less. So I mean, he's he can't be doing that bad. But near yeah, the end of that game, I saw him. There's one play where he literally tossed it into the corner where there was no one, and you you can't do that as a clutch player as a leader. yeah. I, I mean, I think we talked about it in one of our previous episodes. He He's never going to be a number one. He's probably going to be your two or three. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, dang, if he got drafted in 2015, the Thunder actually wanted him. Uh, so imagine if Devin Booker was on the KD, Westbrook, and Adams, the Stephen Adams Thunder as yeah. your third scorer. That'd be great. That would be yeah. uh, really fun to watch. For sure. All right, man, you want to talk a little bit about uh, our main thing for this podcast? I think we wanted to talk about, we wanted to talk to you all about PER, player efficiency mm-hmm. rating, aka the Hollinger stat, and some pros and cons, and then go into individual performances with PER and see who really is showing up on that list and maybe who's missing out on that list. Um, I personally think that PR is a really interesting stat. Um, so let's let's talk yeah let's just jump into the history of it uh josh do you want to kick off what is, what is pr what is pr to you <laughs> yeah well what pr is um it's essentially this the stat that john hollinger made that it's supposed to incorporate as many statistics as possible and then weight them accordingly so uh it's going to boil down to the players contributions into one number uh so i believe uh off the top of my head i know it's field goals, free throws, three-pointers are all weighted. So that it has almost an effective field goal percentage within that. 
And then you have assists, rebounds, blocks, steals, also um, weighted in a way to um, – do you know off the top of your head how assists and rebounds are I, – I know assists are like 2 or like 1.5 comparatively to other – yeah, I mean, what I read was he did a regression analysis based off of uh, team, I guess, players that were considered good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it does uh, to me, it doesn't matter the weighting. It's more that he just put together this formula. If you want to look up the formula, it's crazy, right? Like, yeah, like I'm looking at it. Josh is looking at. It, we're like, what the heck is this formula? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I really don't know how he came up with it, but it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get into it, but I mean, the formula adds like the positive and negative stats together because that's the other part of it is like if you have missed shots, turnovers, personal fouls, that actually goes into your PR to whether or not uh, you're an effective player or not or efficient player. And yeah. I think that's really interesting, um, especially when you hear like the names on this list uh, and then how they're they're ranked. Yeah, and just one thing about PR, I, I want to give John Hollinger a lot of credit uh, when he so the story this is from the ringer podcast uh, the guy on the ringer knows john hollinger and had him on it what he did is he was really interested in trying to find some type of score for players to rank them and he was just experimenting with a ton of things uh, and his aha moment was basically when he put together a score he got the output and number one on that list was michael jordan and he was like all right i think i'm onto something." Um, <laughs> Even at that time, I don't think anybody was really looking at basketball statistics. So he published a book. Uh, I think it got picked up by a couple of people. It didn't sell like a ton of copies. ESPN said, hey, man, like, do you want a staff writing job? And he's always loved sports. So he, he, he talked about PR, his, his ranking. And now it is, it is one of the, the main ranking signals for ESPN. It's mm-hmm. uh, called a Hollinger stat. And I think they include it on a lot of their um statistics pages so this guy just amazing he and i think i would credit him with kind of the birth of basketball analytics um just because of pr um and all the work that he's done to evangelize statistics looking at basketball with advanced statistics yeah no he i mean it's pretty crazy like he came up with this and then um, he was a vice president of basketball operations for the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I think that was amazing. I do you remember when he did that? Like, I when, I remember when he did what? When when he was the vice president of basketball operations, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't at the same time that he came up with this uh, or the PER number, right? Oh no, I think that was way later. Uh, okay. PER is actually yeah, that was pretty early on in his career that was one of the first things he did and then he got hired on to be a staff writer for espn and then i think 2000 i forgot like 2015 or 2016 vp for the memphis grizzlies yeah but well the reason why i bring that up is that he literally did this as a hobby (laughs) He, he made the stat in his um in his house and he had a website um I believe it's called the alley-oop and he just created this statistical analysis that allowed him to rank players. You know, we were able to see who's actually efficient, who's not. I mean, you'll be surprised. Like when we actually get in the top 20, like some players that you think are all, all world hall of famers, like some of them are 
you know, kind of low or lower than you would think. Yeah. Yeah. And Oh, fun tidbit from the podcast again, from the ringer. So all credit goes to them. Uh, John Hollinger ended up selling. It was the alley-oop or alley-oop.com. One of the two He actually ended up selling it for quite a bit of money because he was able to grab that URL near the beginning of the internet age when uh, URLs were super common. So also, also a fine decision maker in the business sense, John. Hollinger. Oh yeah. Digital real estate, man. I'm, I'm telling you that's the new currency. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk some about the pros and cons of PR. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about PR these days, but I, I just wanted to start off by giving a shout out to John Hollinger. I think people under um, estimate how much he has meant for basketball and basketball analytics. So we're going to kind of tear apart PR right now. But, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we, we have to give him credit because uh, as you said, advanced statistics, I think really started with him. And so it, it's, people like that that given us a passion for this so i mean it's a great place to start uh, but yeah getting into like the nitty-gritty of it like some of the pros that you know uh that eric and i actually listed off is that you know this is uh obviously an easy comparison between players across teams so like one of the things that we can do is like we can look at um you know, a player, how many points they scored, assist, all, uh, all their positive results. And then we also see how many missed shots, um, you know, how many stale or turnovers, all of that, that we can get a good comparison between player to player. I mean, so we can actually look at like how Kevin Durant and LeBron do, um, obviously not this year, but last year we can look at their PERs and see how they stack up against each other. And it's easier to understand like, oh, this player is actually a lot more efficient, even though it doesn't seem like he's doing as much. Yeah. And one thing I think uh, we forgot to mention is PR is normalized across the players for normalized a for pace of play Mm -hmm. for the team and also normalized for the players in that season. So you can actually get a really good analysis. That's why even though the modern NBA is a lot more high pace and scoring way more. You can still compare that to Bob Cousy back in the day yeah. um, with PR because it's been normalized. Yeah, I mean, you you can look at like Oscar Robinson where actually had a higher pace of play than the 80s and see that his, uh, his efficiency level may not be as high as we think, even though I think he's an incredible player. But uh, when we look at the rankings, like he's like well below – Michael Jordan, who had the highest PER uh, as well as the most sustained P, longest lasting high PER, uh, I believe is what we're going to find out. And so uh, that I thought that was an incredible stat. And and to your point, like again, we looking across eras, play styles, everything, we can have like a generalized look uh, of how players stack up against each other. Yeah. Um- also, I think one one also thing that about PR that I really like is it, when you're talking about just offensive, and what we'll talk about the why I think it's only offensive. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty high confidence that this player is pretty good. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're filling up the stats, you've got to be decent. There's mm-hmm. definitely anomalies. I know there's a whole bunch of players where I mean Russell Westbrook last year, but you're not going to tell me that Russell Westbrook is a bad player. He may yeah. not be as good as people with less stats than him, but Russell Westbrook objectively is still a great player. So. Exactly. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And um, as you said, with the, 
the uh, offensive looking at the the players, like you understand that PR is like kind of all inclusive. Like it, it has every single stat. So there are some players that may not fill it up, um, may not fill it up like in the points. Like you have Chris Paul, who's never, I believe he's only been a 20 point score twice in his career. And it's even like the low 20s. I'm talking like 21, 22 uh, points per game. In most of his career, it's like 18 to 19. Um, he's actually pretty high in PER. Yeah. Because yeah. he he fills up the stat sheets and assists, he does pretty well in in rebounds, and he he gets steals. Yeah, and I think he's just an uh, efficient player uh, because um, I think uh, PR takes into account field goal percentage. So if mm-hmm. you're someone that just wants to fill up the stats and throw in a bunch of points, and you have a low field goal percentage, like I'm thinking maybe like a Monte Ellis of sorts. I actually don't know Monte Ellis's PR, but that'd be interesting to look at. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he would be he would be dinged for having that low field goal percentage versus a Chris Paul who's a very very efficient and good player. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's definitely something that we can go into, um, you know, later on. We can look at uh, PERs uh, for contemporaries, like people from the same draft, um, and how they look or how they st- stack against each other. Yeah. Um, so actually, I want to go into the cons of PR uh, because we've mm-hmm. been touching upon it. Um, defensively, PR just does not do a good job at measuring a player's defense. They look into steals, they look into blocks, but we know for a fact that players that get a lot of steals and blocks doesn't mean that they're good defensively. Uh, real, modern players that I can think of in the past couple of seasons is Steph Curry, Based off the eye test, you can tell that Steph Curry just is not elite defensively, but he has two 2.1 steals a game, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so PR bolsters him in that in that regard and doesn't take into account that, hey, like he's always in these mismatches. He's always in matchup nightmares and people exploit him on defense. And that's actually a negative on him. Yeah. And uh, to your point, I mean, like this kind of is skewed towards star players because role players don't get adjusted properly. So, I mean, obviously if you have a role player that like only plays like 15, 16, uh, 16 minutes a game, you're not going to get a full actualization of whether or not they're, they're doing or they're being efficient or they're an excellent player. Like one player that I think um, did really well last year. And I don't think he has a very high PER, and who knows, maybe, maybe if you give him 30, 40 minutes, he wouldn't have it, is uh, a guy named Joe Harris on the Nets. Like, he yeah. won the three-point contest. He plays really well within the offense, but he doesn't fill up the stat sheet when it comes to um, rebounds, assists, points, all of it. Uh, but he's a really good player. Like, obviously, he's not, he, he's not a star-level player or anything like that, but he's effective in this NBA. Yeah, actually speaking of giving people more minutes, PR doesn't really take into account how people are used. So uh, I think that's also a weakness. Uh, if you if you look at it, PR only looks at the time that you've been playing because they adjust for pace, they adjust for minutes played. So not, not Joe Harris specifically, but someone like Boban Marjanovic, who mm-hmm. is when he's on the court, he's efficient. He does what exactly what he needs to do. Uh, but 
he can't stay on the court for long. So he actually has like a ridiculous high PER. I think he also came up. He has like 20, 24, 25 per game, per season. Yep. He was number 15 last year at 24.25. He was right (laughs) behind, get this, he was right behind Kevin Durant. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So I think Boban for Kevin Durant is a fair trade, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that he's on the Mavericks, we have to love him, right? Oh, dude, I've always loved Boban. Man, (laughs) I. That guy, he's just such a nice guy. He's yeah, freaking giant. And also, I just love the way he plays. Oh, that's, for sure. That's for another. That's for another time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I was gonna say, yeah, he he, his minutes per game was eleven point seven, and he had a per of twenty four point two five. Yeah, it's crazy. That's amazing. But, um, but yeah, then uh, I, I mean, I know that this is the next point is something that you really want to talk about. So I'll let you take that away. Yeah, I think this is going to transition right into our discussion of the top 20 P players with the highest PERs. But um, there are players like Ben Wallace, who is one of my all-time favorite players. I love the way he plays. I know for a fact he's a great player. He was actually, uh, this might be surprising for some people, in 2000-2003 season, he was number eight on the MVP voting ballot. Is behind Dirk, Iverson, Shaq, T-Mac, Kobe. I think Tim Duncan won it that year. Yeah. So it's not like near the bottom it was nobody's. He was number eight because he was a defensive stalwart for that team. And guess what his PR was? 17. (laughs) (laughs) Like no one else in in the seven above him had a PR lower than 21. (laughs) And he was 17 and number eight. Because PR is just terrible at taking into account defense and positioning and all the intangibles that Ben Wallace brought to that team. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I knew another one that uh, when we were doing our research that kept on getting brought up was Bruce Bowen. Uh, he was a player that he didn't get a ton of steals. Uh, he didn't score a lot of points, but everyone knew him as one of the best like five defenders in the league. And that's the reason why he got to stay on the, on the floor, you know? Uh, but more importantly, like he was better than most average NBA players. And, and one thing that we should note, an average NBA player is 15. The PR, yeah. PR is 15. Yeah. So the fact that, the fact that uh, Ben Wallace was only two over that when he was number eight in MVP voting – Bruce Bowen, I think, registers at like 12 or 13. Yeah, that's he's below average. <laughs> he's below average. And then yet he's, uh, e- even though I think he was only like uh, NBA defense, all defense first team like twice. I mean, still, he's he's better than 300 or 400 other players at, at defense. Yeah. And so actually, this is really interesting because this is another kind of model. This is more of a subjective model, but um, – ESPN does this value. I think it's ESPN. They do this uh, article every year of who you would trade for who. And I know for a fact that the Spurs would never trade Bruce Bowen for half of those people above him in, in PER just because mm-hmm. of the, his defensive prowess and his ability to stop elite scorers like Kobe Bryant. Yeah, later later on, uh, I would love for us to go into defensive rating um, for on and off. So it's like, uh, defensive rating on, defensive rating off, and I would love to do it with Kobe or uh, Bruce Bowen. Any any of those players that you that we all 
look at as great defensive players, I would love to see what their rating was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we need to do a whole podcast about defense. I think that's really interesting. People have really not been able to find a great stat for defense. And even in this day of age of, of tracking all this stuff, it's been really, really hard to measure defensive efficiency. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've been kicking around some ideas, but I know how long that it, it, it would take even to do it, but to talk about it, talk about it, it would take us like two, three hours. So yeah, maybe, for sure. maybe for another time. Yeah. Uh, you want to go into the top 20? Um, the top 20 of PER actually looks, it looks pretty good, to be honest. It, don't get me wrong. It's really, really good. But I think what people will be surprised at is like some of the names may seem kind of low. Um, yeah. and, and we can actually go into that. But um, so number one, so what you said earlier that Michael Jordan was number one at 27.91. Uh, and this is how John Hollinger kind of came to the decision that his PER uh, statistic was, was relevant uh, that he was able to see that obviously the best player that everyone in their minds. Oh, actually, hold on. Side note, side note about this. The, do you know who the first person, when he ran his first model, who the player that popped up number one what, for PER was? I'm like to get, take a guess. This was like in the 90s-ish. I don't know, actually. Oh, wow. 2000s when he was making his model. <sighs> I'm, I'm thinking if it's the 90s, was it like Hakeem or David Robinson? It was Rick Smits. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. That's when he knew something was wrong. Rick oh, Smits gosh. on his early models was number one. <laughs> <laughs> Great tidbit. I, I did not know that. I would not guess it at all. I, I was thinking about someone at a left field at first, like uh, I was thinking maybe like Scotty Pippen for some reason, right. yeah. but like Rick Smits is just worse than that. <laughs> It's pretty hilarious. So, Sorry, go, go on about, uh, yeah, so Michael Jordan was number one, go on. Yeah, so Michael Jordan was number one, and I'm just going to rattle off the other names, and then uh, we can talk about the rankings. But LeBron's number two, and he's at 27.59, which is really close. Uh, but then you have Anthony Davis at 27.4, uh, followed up by Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, Bolt Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Neil Johnston who I've never heard of in my life. Yeah, um, I looked him up. He actually led the league in MVP in scoring for for 3 seasons. So that's oh, wow. this, this this dude used to light it up. Oh dang, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need I need to brush up. Obviously, I'm not a, <laughs> a basketball connoisseur like I thought I was. Um Charles Barkley, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um after uh, after that, James Harden, Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson, Karl Malone, Steph Curry, Westbrook, Elijah one and Julius Irving uh, rounding out the top 20. Yeah. And I, I think like just naming those in the top 20, those were in order. You can already start seeing there is a lot of weirdness there. The, a yeah. lot of the, what we consider top 10 players are not there. Uh, but actually if you start looking near the bottom is when it starts getting even weirder. Number a hundred in terms of PR per season is Zach Randolph. Uh, mm-hmm. 97 is John Wall. 96 is Carlos Boozer. 95 is Michael Red. So you know, like the more that you're digging into the stack ranking or this ranking of players by PER, the weirder the weirder it gets. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think when I looked it up, Kemba Walker was on there as well. Yeah, like he was 99. Of- yeah, he's in 99. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a great player, but I would never think of him I think of him as a top hundred PER player. Yeah. And when you look at the top five or six, you can see you imagine these players are elite offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. But then it starts getting weird when you're looking at James Harden and with all due respect to Steph Curry, I love the guy, but they're also in the top twenty. Again, this this it's because it's really overweighted for offensive efficiency versus defensive efficiency. Yeah, but I I mean I was even gonna say like I feel like eleven is kind of low for Charles Barkley, and the reason why is that he was a stat stuffer. Like yeah. even though he wasn't the best defensive player, he was still getting like you know high twenties um, points. He was getting uh, you know double digits on rebounds. He he was okay on assists. Like. I, I guess he just wasn't efficient, uh, which makes sense. Uh, and he probably didn't do as well in the other uh, other categories. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you're looking at this list, a lot of them, uh, these are top scorers mostly. These people yeah. could light it up. They scored a lot. Uh, Except with the for exception Chris of, Paul. Yeah, Chris Paul, who you just mentioned. That's pretty surprising. And, and, and number eight. So he's ahead of Kevin Durant's like, uh, lifetime number or career number. Uh, he's had a Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson, like he he's that Carl Malone. I, I just realized that he was at 16, but uh, dang. So yeah, that's the thing. It's like you, you don't have to necessarily be the best scorer as long as you're being uh, to borrow a baseball term, a five tool player. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, um, PR is, is a great way for casual people to start looking into it just as like when I started looking at basketball stats in the back of a basketball card, I'd be like, man, this guy, you know, scores 20 points a game and he shoots 40, 50% from the field. This is so awesome. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really good way to get started because all, all, all in all, this ranking is not too bad. If someone told you the top 20 players ever in the NBA were this list, you'd be like, okay, I have some qualms with it. But in general, that looks right. I don't see Rick Smiths at, like in the top twenty, right? Yeah, you you're right. You but you do see a Neil Johnston, who I I guess the one glaring one is like Bill Russell. Right. He's not. He, well, guess what Bill Russell is known for? Defense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and and I think part of the problem with Bill Russell too is if if I remember correctly, they didn't start logging blocks until a certain time. Mm-hmm. Pass in the either in the middle or near the tail end of Bill Russell's career, oh, so okay. that that was that's actually pretty problematic. That's true, and I could see that being the the issue. Like, and again, that's the hardest part of like that era is like um, not everything was recorded. Uh, they didn't have the three point line until seventy eight. So, uh, but at least with the PER, you can you can have a decent starting point. Like, I I think this is a great. Uh, way to look at Michael Jordan and LeBron because they're actually really close in the yep. PER. Uh, but as a Michael Jordan apologist or, or supporter, <laughs> I will say this, the 27.91 includes his two years in Washington. So um, <laughs> that kind of tells you how good he was beforehand that like those two, two years that were just okay, like still great for most players, <laughs> But like just okay, brought it down 
like I, I think they said it was like one point something that it brought it down those two seasons. Yeah. Like that's pretty incredible. Actually, that's a great point that you made because PR, when we're looking at it statistically across all seasons, also includes all these really bad seasons. Mm-hmm. And so Yao Ming is at 24 and he's ranked right above Kobe Bryant, but Kobe Bryant played way longer than Yao Ming, who unfortunately Yao Ming's career was cut short by injuries. But when he was playing, he was really, really dominant. So yeah, yeah Pierre kind of misses this, this idea that of longevity, of staying on the court, of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather have, obvi- uh, very obviously, this is a kind of a stupid statement, but I would rather have Kobe Bryant over Yao Ming, um, mostly because we know that Yao Ming was an injury risk a lot of the time. If oh, yeah. Yao Ming was always healthy, you know, okay, maybe not Yao Ming over Kobe Bryant. That's kind of stupid. I, I got to find a different <laughs> example. I'm f- I'm falling off the cliff here. But maybe like Kevin Garnett or something over yeah. Yao Ming. You know. Yeah. I will here's the thing. I I agree with you like uh I mean, even even just hearing that Yao Ming had a better PER than Kobe Bryant, like uh yeah, it may have not been it may have not or it's probably because Kobe had some bad years in the end, like inefficient seasons, yep. uh, not scoring as much as he used to, not getting a lot of assists throughout his career. Obviously, that's what what got it. But the fact is that the fact that he's lower tells you how bad those last couple seasons were and probably how inefficient he was throughout his career. But we both know no yep. one in their right mind would take Yao Ming over Kobe Bryant. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, so that that's another flaw of PER. Like while they're looking at like an entire, you know, career worth of games, and you can look at how efficient they are, how you know, uh, how they're evolving people or their their stat stuffers, it doesn't necessarily tell you how effective they are on the floor. And effective in the sense of like wins, because. Like I know you and I disagree about this, and that's um, this is something that I would love to talk about. Is that uh, Anthony Davis is number three? I think he's a great player, but the fact is, I I am astonished that he's at number three in PER only only because of the rankings. I get it from his from him just being Anthony Davis and getting ton of points, ton of rebounds, met at 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 assists, but he gets blocks and steals. Like he's he is like the ultimate five tool player. Uh, I get why he gets it so high, but I don't think that he's actually very effective. Like I, I I think he doesn't really make players around him better. I don't think that he can lead a team, not, not because he's not great, but he doesn't have the skill set to make a, a will a team to that next level. I like, uh, you know, maybe we'll see with him, next to LeBron and LeBron will take him to the next level. But like that, that also goes into my case. He sounds like he needs like an, an ultimate teammate to just even semi compete. Uh, yeah. But I would love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, Josh, you and I watched, watched live Anthony Davis put up an effort list. What a 45 and like 12. No, no, no. It was 50 and 14. <laughs> just, just like absurd. Like I remember we looked at the scoreboard and we're like, how many points has Anthony Davis scored? And it was like, he already had like 30 at the half. It was insane. Yeah. Um, I think Anthony Davis is just such an efficient player. And I think his time at New Orleans really screwed him over. Mm-hmm. And 
the Pelican, I, I think he's definitely right to leave the Pelicans um, because it just in this day and age, there are just so many super teams and, and Anthony Davis staying in, in, in New Orleans would, would never ever have won a chip despite his Herculean efforts as reflected by PER. So that kind of backs up um, my stance here, but yeah, like just like, just seeing him play. And so here's, here's the thing. That's what's interesting about PR because PR tells us one story, but then the eye test obviously tells us a different story. Yeah. So your eye test versus my eye test are completely different. Oh and yeah. We watched the same player play over many, many years. So and live together. <laughs> yeah. And live together. So that's actually what I think the, where the stats can help influence our decision. Uh, do you, do you feel like, once you saw Anthony Davis with such high PR, do you feel like he's a better player than you had previously thought? Or were you just like, oh, PR is kind of bonk and they just ranked him too high because they value offensive efficiency too much? Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of the road because here's the thing. I, I agree with you. It was uh, like thinking about um, him playing against Miami Heat where he dropped that like ridiculous stat line. Like it was effortless, and you're absolutely right. He was an efficient monster, um, and I, I agree with you. Like he has every right, and I it was the best thing to do for for himself to leave New Orleans. Like I, I have no I have no qualms about that. But the reason why I'm like I I, I again I think PR is great because I think it it really does give certain players uh like you understand their effectiveness uh within within their game i just think he's a little high like i think i think because of just he's been this offensive juggernaut and he can fill up the stat sheet he he seems a little artificially high but maybe it's just my my own biases of like feeling like he can never will a team himself like or at least Mm -hmm. and when i say will a team himself I, I don't mean that you have to win a championship, every anything like that. I'm talking about like making other team or other players on your team better, making other players like play up to your standards. And I don't think he had that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and for and sure. that's something that PER doesn't even account for, which is not its fault. It's my fault for thinking the way that I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the same criticism people have always said about LeBron James over Michael Jordan. And of course, like here, Michael Jordan's PR is above LeBron James, but I think there was a period of time where LeBron James's PR was slightly above Michael Jordan. And, but the, the criticism is always, Hey, he doesn't have the ability to will his team like Michael Jordan did. So, but I, I think that is a big, big, big part of a player. You see yeah. brilliant players that never figure it out because they don't have the IQ or the will or the ability and these are the things that statistics will always miss. There's no way to account for how much someone wants to play the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are players today that their whole life revolves around basketball and, like, they can only get to, like, a 15 <laughs> on the PER. Yeah. And then there's players like John Wall who, don't get me wrong, I think he loves basketball. I think he's he is passionate enough about it. But – he hasn't really added to his game since 2013, you yeah, know, and, yeah, exactly. um, and, and he's like number, what, what did he say? Like number 91, 
he was he, the fact that he's on the top 100 is kind of appalling to me <laughs> to be honest with you yeah let's see he was number 97 97 right I mean, below the great carlos Buzo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we all know that carlos Buzer at one point in uh in all our memories was the best player in the league so <laughs> all right uh give me a give me a hot take here because we got uh the top 20 we we just read you off the top 20 but we've got a lot of players missing here uh, i'm just going to name a few off the top of my head larry bird Dwayne mm-hmm. Wade. Sorry, not off the top of my head off this list. I'm reading yeah. off Wikipedia. Oscar Robertson, Yao Ming, Kobe Bryant, Jerry West, Eldrin Baylor, Kevin Garnett, Derek Nowitzki, DeMar- no, DeMarcus Cousins. Why is he number three? Blake Griffin, T-Mac, um, Moses Malone. Who do you think is the biggest omission off the top 20? Like, If you had someone to give in the top 20 that's not Anthony Davis or whoever else is on the top 20 that you don't think really deserves to be there, who do you think should be there? Who who should be there in in lieu of them? Yeah, yeah. Like someone who's below top twenty that should be in the top twenty. Well, I'm I'm actually really surprised, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'm surprised Steve Nash isn't higher, or like at least like close to the top twenty because he had I want to say three seasons, if not, I know he had two seasons of fifty forty ninety where he was fifty percent from the field, over forty percent from three and uh over 90 percent from free throws um he led the league in assists for at least four to five years um over a span of like six years and he was in the top three for like seven of those years um and he while he wasn't a great defender he got a lot of or he he got a decent amount of steals for uh being a poor defender um and he's gotten triple double, so I'm surprised that he's not higher. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm definitely surprised. He's number actually 79, uh, wow. stuck in between Jimmy Butler and Brooke Lopez. Which, <laughs> oof, man, looking at the bottom of this this barrel for the top 100 is is looking a little little shifty here. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I'm like, how how is and and the reason why I can maybe see it. He had three really tough seasons before he really made it in the league with Dallas. He yep. was held back by uh, – they didn't allow him to be as crafty as he was in Dallas as he was in Phoenix. When And then he had two really bad years with, with the Lakers where – when I say bad years, he didn't get to double-digit assists, and he I think he only scored like 12 points. So I, I, I get why he's not there but I'm surprised that he was so low. Yeah. I mean, what we should probably do is, is, is break these down in terms of seasons. Cause there were individually brilliant seasons for players where they hit some insane PR numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember what year he won the MVP? He won in 04, 05. And then he won in 05, 06. Um, yeah. He, he won those two years in a row. Um, and then it was yeah. Dirk and then Kobe. Yeah, I mean, and even those years, his PR was only 22 and 23, which isn't astronomically high for what you would consider an, an elite caliber player. Oh, yeah. So. Just just to give you a reference, uh, last year, Giannis was at 30.9, and yeah. then Harden was at 30.62. Yeah. And I, th- I think, like, what – what really again this goes back to the intangibles where steve nash was so smart 
on the on the court that he was opening up opportunities and i i think there is definitely a stat these days where you can track hockey assists i don't know Mm -hmm. if it was implemented for a lot of his days in phoenix but i know for a fact watching the guy play he accounted for so many hockey assists and just opening up the floor on the threat of him throwing down a a three-pointer at extremely high percentages right you you never wanted to leave that guy open yeah Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, again, I need to go back to his efficiency. He was one of the most efficient basketball players. I mean, when you think about a 50, 40, 90 player, you're talking about him and Steph. Those yep. are the only two players in the modern era that did it under 6'5". You yep. know, like they're both 6'3", but I'm just saying like for tiny guards that have to go into the lane and like do the teardrops, do like – it it it's tough and they're still score or they're still shooting about 50% in uh on the field and then about 40% on three so like again that's two out of five threes will go in with them yeah and and i think one year he was at like 48% i'm talking about steve nash i want to say that he was at 48% on threes yeah just like an insane efficiency uh, really, really uh, before his time. Yeah. All right, man. So like, let's say you're running an organization. Let's, let's get this, uh, the last call here. If yeah. you're running an organization right now uh, and someone comes to you and says, Hey, I have a really high PR player, or I want to build my team off of PR. Um, and the only other option is for you to just go by your gut. Are you going to build your team off the best PR players you get? Or are you going to go off your gut? Uh, I think I, I would do it, and maybe this is a cop out. I would do it mismatch. Oh, okay, fine. Cop out. Cop out. <laughs> cop out. Okay, fine. I'll go with this. I would go with my gut, and the only reason I would, and I'm not, I'm as two guys that love statistics and are basing our entire podcast off of this. I say it very hesitantly, but I would go off my gut only because I don't think PERs can make teams. They can only make cases for players making uh, or making cases for players for MVPs or defense or, or, or end of year awards. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Individually brilliant seasons are captured well by PR individually brilliant players, but we've seen time and time again, if you stick the best PR players, the best, most efficient players together, it doesn't always mean a championship. Yeah, I mean, again, I love these three players that I'm about to name off, but they were ahead of Steph and Kyrie and Kevin Durant on PR last year. Yeah, Nick yeah. Nick Vujicic at nine, Rudy Gobert at ten, and Jonas Valanciunas at eleven. Yeah, so, like I I wouldn't start a team with any of them, and if I had a choice of okay, give me the top ten, and I was the ninth person picking, I'm not going to pick Nick Vujicic over <laughs> Steph, Kyrie, or Kevin. exactly exactly Uh, but again that being said you know my cop-out answer that i would i would go with is that i would try to find the best player or the best per player as my top guy yeah or one of my top guys yeah and then i would fill out the team that i believe that would do the best job with him like i yeah. Uh, like I, I talked about on our last podcast that Nikola, uh, Nikola Jokic, I think is an incredible player. He's really high on, um, on PER. He was tied for four last year. They 
put a team around him that's perfect for him, like shooters and people that cut. And that's exactly what I would do. Like, that's why I'm so high on the Nuggets, even though I don't think that they're going to win the championship. But the fact is, like, I would absolutely do something like that. You find a player that makes other players better, and then you also fill the team around him with players that are going to that that are going to fit with his his skill set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to be quoting you on this when you're a GM for an NBA <laughs> team in 10 years. I'm oh, be pulling know. up this podcast and being like Josh doesn't believe in advanced statistics. No, <laughs> I know, but what about you, man? I I feel like uh you have a really good answer for this as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely would go with gut. Uh, I think if you're just looking at PER, and I think this is what everybody knows implicitly, is that you can't just look at things like PER. Um, I would go with gut. Uh, The way that players fit is a lot different than players actually play. And I'm going to go back to the, the Detroit Pistons, who I can't be sure, but probably didn't have anybody in cracking the top 10 or 20 of that season in PER, but was just this ridiculous team that meshed so well, anchored by a defensive potential MVP, <laughs> Ben Wallace. Uh, and the, the PR just never accounted for that because all they cared about was um, offensive efficiency. Um, the, the, the caveat is these days, everything's about offensive efficiency. Um, they've cracked down a lot of, uh, on a lot of, uh, defensive tactics. So maybe, maybe if you're looking at the top 10, top 20 these days, it, this is actually how you craft a team. But, um, I still, I still don't think you can win a championship without defense. I've never seen a, a team win a championship without defense as much as you want to say the Warriors are highly offensive team. That was also a very defi- defensively efficient team. So I would, I would roll with the. Um, I would roll with my gut uh, and and use PR as just kind of an indicator that my gut was going in the right direction. Yeah, like when you were talking, I looked it up. So that 03-04 Detroit Pistons team, it was Chauncey Billups at 43 was the highest PR, and he had it was he was clocked in at 18.6 for his PR. That's crazy. Uh, None yeah. of them cracked the twenty. Not none of them cracked the top twenty. None of them caught. Uh, <laughs> no, none of them went over the top twenty. And guess who was the number two on the Detroit Pistons? Pistons in PER. I'm gonna go with Rip, maybe just because of the scoring. Uh, I thought it was too. Mehmet Okor. Mehmet Okor. I forgot about that guy. That guy was great. <laughs> yeah. No, I I loved him on the Jazz, but I'm so surprised that he was number two on that Detroit Pistons team when they won. Uh, granted this was their, their season, uh, throughout the season. So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's his, um, uh, I, I don't think it was his playoffs <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. did it, but yeah, no, that, that was definitely, uh, that's the thing about PER. Like you can't necessarily just use this to build a team. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure we could go through every team that we've seen and go through the PERs and kind of like rant and rave about it. And all apologies to Mr. John Hollinger. I still love your stat. I still love everything you do, but oh, um, yeah. I think we've kind of run out of time. So we're going to have to close out the show. Uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. We really appreciate your passion as always. If you haven't already followed us on Twitter, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram at the BR underscore podcast for both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, We'll be posting news, updates from our podcast, 
interesting articles. We should probably post that Ringer podcast with John Hollinger because I really love that podcast. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, please like, share, subscribe to your podcast wherever you listen to it. And until next time, this is Josh and Eric signing off. See you.